Good evening, boys and girls. It's part two of Highbury Squad Two-A-Days. And my goodness, we are very excited for these guests today. The award-winning Arsenal Vision podcast is with us. Here we go. Mind the gap between the train and the platform. Please stand clear of the discussion doors. The next stop is Highbury Squad. Good evening, boys and girls. In true Emmys and Oscar fashion, I have had a costume change following the uh, International Women's Day show earlier today. Many of you will be listening on replay because there's a Champions League game going. What's that? I don't know. Uh, but back once again with me is my podcast brother from another mother, Mr. Super Kev. Super Kevin Campbell. Squaddies, welcome and at ease. Let's get into it, squaddies. We've got two unbelievable guests. and Let's do it. Speaking of the Emmys and the Oscars, Super Kev, we have award winners in our presence this evening. Um, walked off with the uh, best, I think it was... Elliot, you can you can tell me, was it the best podcast, club podcast, right, that you won oh, at the FCAs? Well, I'm happy to do the bragging on behalf of our podcast, <laughs> seeing as how I was the smallest piece of the puzzle. But yeah, we uh, we did pull off the best Premier League podcast prize at the FCAs. Um, I think I think they had the envelopes mixed up, but we're going to take it. And we'll, we'll credit Clive for the win. No, there was no La La Land mixed up on, on this one. And the dulcet tones. If you have not heard this guy, you must be living under a rock. Um, I'm thinking I could make some, you know, alarms or whatever. We can make some money with Clive's dulcet tones, definitely. Mr. Palmer, welcome back to the Highbury Squad. Hello, how you doing? Very I've been looking good. for. I've been looking forward to coming back. I really enjoyed the last time. And, um, Excellent. Yeah, we had some. I had good fun watching Kev's eyebrows raise every time I was talking, going and nodding. <laughs> <laughs> yep, like that, it that, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> it's one of the only times I've seen Sophie go quiet, Kev. But it's one of my favourite ever podcasts. It's brilliant. I know you were afraid I was. I was going to bite, but I think I proved that I can be zen sophie when 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 that moment comes so let's kick things off here because i think you and kev clive may align or have aligned more earlier with arteta than myself and elliot and elliot will correct me if i'm wrong before we get stuck into nuts and bolts and some questions about players and how we play and that type of stuff oh i i i have been very critical of Arteta in his first two seasons, eighth, eighth, get, getting kicked out of Europe. And I, I feel that's been warranted. Kev's always said, so if it's the players, until he has his own players, we're never going to see his team, right? And there's this conversation brewing across multiple media outlets that if Arteta makes top four, he should be considered as manager of the year. I'll start with you first, Clive, and then we'll shift to Elliot. The Arteta journey, the criticism followed by comments from fellow Arsenal fans about flip-flopping, but also seeing things as they progress and giving him credit where it's, uh, where it's due. Can you talk me through your process a little bit? Yeah, so I 
wasn't always of well i wasn't a fan of the original time we were going to get our ted i thought oh, interesting but actually from the when we did come around the second time around i thought well okay what's he about and to be honest if you I, to prepare for this podcast you know what i did i actually re-listened to the first press conference that he did mm. um, and i urge you to listen to it because that was a moment i said to myself okay this guy understands what the problems are he's the one that said straight away we have a culture issue we have a lack of connection issue i want to talk about commitment how we're going to live uh, making sure we got the same common goals motivations and and by the way my background is a bit of a corporate background I'm a bit i understand change and so this was like music to my ears so from day one i was like thinking okay this is brilliant right so and it wasn't really Arteta-centric. It was, okay, this guy understands what, what's required to change this club. And we all agree that where we were was not great, right? So um, why wouldn't we want a change agent to come in that's prepared to actually tell us about ourselves and, and make a difference? So I was always on board with him from that regard. In the end, we have to compete with the results and the bad substitutions and the mistakes. But I sort of cleared that in my mind because I think it was a unique period in in our lives full stop we had a, a pandemic which slowed parts of the project which kept people around nice and comfortable and I'm absolutely with Kev when you understand what a good player is you understand that there was no chance that he had to play his own way he had to look for quick wins and that's what he did with his original shape and system and now we're seeing more like him and it's funny that now we can see him guess what he's got a few more people on side right so I think in the end like any job you've ever had anything you've ever done is all built around people relationships and you've got to work out who's on board who are your people how do they connect and me and Edit did a podcast every day we called it you can't fool the punter well you can't fool us when we see it we're on board right and that was the final phase of his project, Unity with the Fans. This is our first interview. It's all there. And he's doing exactly what he said. And here we are today. Elliot, I'm going to shift to you. Um, I, I think we're in the same boat. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I've always felt that it's okay to have criticised what, what he what his process you know we we've been told to trust the process i also go back to and i don't want to talk about unaya tonight but i just bring the example of how he inherited an absolute mess from wenger and then arteta inherited unaya's mess and also wenger's mess um and arteta has had i think more more support from upper level than Unai ever did, i.e. he's been able to bring in the plays that he wanted. He's actually gazumped Edu in certain areas, i.e. thank goodness he didn't listen to Edu and Edu didn't sign Emerson Royal, right? Um, so I want you to talk me through your process in terms of where we've been, where we're at. We were rock bottom at the beginning of the season, 8th, 8th, kicked out of Europe. Talk me through it. Yeah, so Sophie, look, the first thing is I wanted Arteta. I actually wanted Arteta when we when we hired Unai and Clive was on that podcast. He knows we did Unai Emery podcast number one. And we had to do a number two because people were so mad at us for being disappointed in getting Emery. I wanted Arteta because I liked the idea 
of a high ceiling new young manager with big uh, footballing concepts that come from one of the great footballing minds in the game. I thought that there was a lot of potential there. So that was what I took into the process. If you started the Arteta era this summer, I would have been over the moon, Sophie, because buying mm. young players, building for the future, trying to put a more front-footed approach on the pitch, adding the press, transitioning to this 4-3-3 where the possession is up the pitch. We're not the slowest in buildup. We're not exclusively putting in crosses. So much of what we're doing now is really what I thought we were trying to build when we hired him. Unfortunately, what did we do? We brought in guys like William. We re-signed Aubameyang. We leaned into some of the quicker fix more senior player approaches, and I thought alienated at times some of our younger talent. We played football that minded the back door at the expense of trying to create those chances. And I looked at it, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And along with that backdrop, there were these disciplinary issues and this big discussion of culture. And I will admit, I'm a little allergic to the discussion of culture. That's a me thing. That's not an Arteta thing. That's just me the way I'm wired. So I looked at it, and I said, where are the footballing principles that can lead us to top four, to top two, to the best team in the country? Where is a real commitment to a rebuild the way Liverpool did it, getting younger, getting smarter, when I was looking at Williams and things like that? Mm -hmm. There, in that backdrop, there was Raul, which didn't help the situation. There was COVID. I think even I have to confess at this point now that there were probably issues in the dressing room that he had to get his hands around and personalities and players and cultural challenges that weren't going to allow him to do what he wanted to do. And maybe he did have to start with the stability at the back to get where we're going. Now, I don't believe a big club can afford to be a schoolroom for a new teacher, for a new coach, but it was his first job. I do think he made some mistakes along the way, but we can update our, our priors. So looking at basically post-boxing data now, the players we've recruited – the tactical game plan we've implemented, the approaches we've taken. Sophie, I can't have anything but praise for it because it's what I always kind of thought we were trying to do from the start. So where I am now, I'm pretty bullish. I think you can hear it. But I don't think that means the stuff that went before didn't happen. And I don't think it was wrong to raise an eyebrow and say, what's going on here when it was going on? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think that's part of football, right? There's, um, as as podcasters and as 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 hosts, and you guys have a, an incredibly engaging show um, that just has a great tone to it. You, you report on what you see, you talk about game by game. And Kev, you, you've always said on this show, um, to a point where I've argued with you uh, that it's the players and when you see what's kind of happening at your other club Everton and how Benitez and Ancelotti weren't able to kind of fix that problem even though maybe if Ancelotti had stayed we don't know what would have happened there because of of, obviously you wanted to go back to Real Madrid Uh, you see Antonio Conte at Tottenham inheriting players and struggling and and I wanted to dovetail it to Clive because you know, when you when you inherit a broken Ozil, uh, an, an apathetic Mustafi and Kalasinac, an average Sogradis, um, a Bellerin who's not the same player that he was, I've come around to thinking there's merit in what you've been saying because now we're seeing Arteta with a team that he has total control over, that there is a massive difference. Yeah, I, I think 
When it first happened, obviously, when he first came to the club, I said to myself, it's a huge job for him because there's a lot of work behind the scenes that need to be done. There's a culling of that dressing room. There's some big personalities in that dressing room that Unai Emery couldn't get hold of. One of the first one was Ozil. Ozil was probably too big for Emery to deal with. Why? Because one minute he was in the squad, next minute he was dropped, and then he, he came back in at the end. Ozil was never um, Emery's, Emery's guy. So there was a shift of power and clicks in that dressing room. And if you want to be successful, you cannot have clicks. So that was one thing that Mikel Arteta needed to do. He had some really talented kids coming through and he had, he had to try and make an environment where they can thrive and flourish. But that's a double-edged sword because I've got these experienced players who are earning fortunes on one hand. I've got these youngsters coming through who I, I need to start incorporating. And then I've got the mediocre boys in the middle who have never been good enough, Sophie, if we're honest. Mm -hmm. But I have to use the Kalasanachis and the, 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 these guys to make up the numbers. So what I've got to try and do, I've got to try and get results. That's one. And I have to get rid of the rot that's in this football club. And is, isn't it amazing how all of a sudden all the rot's gone and now these youngsters are flourishing. Players that were bought were, were poo-pooed in, 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 in the summer. Said, we're spending money and we don't, Ramsdale weren't wanted and Tommy Arsa, who is he? And, you know, you name it. Ben White's too expensive for 50 million quid. This one, that one, you name them, they, they were poo-pooed. Pie pie. They're, they're, what was it? They were called um, B-class. They were called B-class players. Back up FC, mate. Back up yeah. FC. That was it. B-class players, Clyde. You know, so we had to endure all that. I agree. Last season wasn't great. And the fact that there was no fans in, if you remember, Sophie, we done a show and you mm -hmm. asked is it the fact that no fans are in why we're not doing so well? Because when the fans come in, if we perform like that, <laughs> Arteta's going to be under huge pressure. Well, that's, that was based on also what Yang was saying too about how difficult it was to perform without to the perform. fans. And he's he's definitely a player that, that feeds off that. Elliot, did you want to jump in? I wanted to ask Kevin a question, yeah. Yeah, Kev, yeah. Kev, if you don't mind, like, I've I've wanted to ask someone this who's been in these dressing rooms at the you know in these these big environments because when I look at how the Obamiang situation was handled and the Ozil situation maybe even more so, surely it's the case <clears throat> that there are going to be some really talented guys in a dressing room that maybe get a little bit of different treatment than the guys who are more the water carriers or more the mediocre guys. And I I wanted to get your insight on dressing rooms you've been in where there is that guy who's maybe a prima donna, maybe it was you, I don't know, <laughs> who, you know, who, who wanted the prima donna, Elliot. Prima donna yeah. about me, Elliot. Just, just, that's me. That's, I'm the prima donna. Ask yellow. <laughs> yellow for that. But, but no, you know what I mean, Kev? Because like, I'm so curious. How does a team react when you have someone like an Obamian that you know is an important and talented player who maybe 
expects a little different treatment. How much different treatment is okay? And when does it become toxic and a problem for the rest of the group? Well, it becomes toxic when he's the captain and he, <laughs> he is flagrant with the rules. Because mm. it's your captain who's supposed to be the first person to adhere to the rules. And everybody's supposed to follow. So this is always difficult. You know, being late for a, for a, for a North London derby, when there's COVID, there's no fans at the ground. How could you be late? You know, there's no traffic. He's got a fast car. Yeah, he's, and he's got a fast car. So, you know, little things like that. He got dropped uh, and then obviously was brought back in. Sophie and I were totally against it. We, we didn't like that. That's, no. not, that's not captain behavior. Especially the warm down refusal. That yeah, was refused. even worse. Well, yeah. he's, he's upset. I could understand yeah. that, but he should still do it. But what I will say to you, Elliot, is this. As a, as a team, George Graham had his favorites. And we, we used to say to Paul Merson, we say he's the son of George. Because <laughs> there was stuff that he used to get away with that nobody okay. else could get away with. But as a team and as a squad, it's something that you just have to accept. Not everybody. I, Tony Adams will get away with stuff that I could never get away with. But that's all right. Tony Adams, the captain. Yeah, but you've said that when a lot. It was, when it was always... When it was always time right, we got to be here and we got to be the Tony Adams is always there. Got it. He's the captain. He's the leader. He sets the example. Not, where's the captain? Oh, the captain's, um, he's still, he's, he's away. He's in, but, he, you know, but Kev, he, Tony's problems were off the field, not being late for games, right? Like that, no, because but so, some people would challenge you on that. No, but so, you can challenge me how you want. <laughs> the, the bottom line is this. He's paid to play football, and that's what he's gone. That's what he does. Right. He, he's not flagrant with the with the rules of the manager. What he does in his own spare time is his time. Yes, it did come over into affect him. Of course, it did, and and that's wrong. But many people have issues. But nobody could ever say you saw Tony Adams not commit himself to the football club never right. uh, not put his head in where it mattered or didn't lead the troops this is this is what you paid for and especially wearing that captain's armband it's so important sophie but there are managers who have their favorites it, it's just human nature but yeah it got to get on yeah it it Someone like David Moyes, to me, will accept any type of personality or transgression in order to win a game. Arteta, to me, seems like the type of manager that there's a culture he's building, hence maybe why Saliba's been out on loan long. You and I, Kev, have talked about this for a while in a sense that it's not about his talent, it's about maturity, right, and becoming more of a man. Clive, I want to shift back to you because like, when you look at Manchester United, I think they could actually take a leaf out of our book right now. You know, the the Rashford is a shadow of the player that he was. Jaden Sancho is not the player that he was at Dortmund. You've got these overblown, overgrown egos. And you look at Arsenal and you say, we've talked a lot on the show about how the emergence of Bukayo, Emil Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, these young players have really helped evolve the DNA and the profile of the club. And the more we're seeing Bukayo as well emerge the way he is, has less off-the-field issues than a Foden or a, Gr a Grealish, and I would have him all day long over those players. 
Can you talk me through that a little bit, the culture, and also how maybe the senior players in the last few games have stepped up to 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 support them? And I'm going to say, I, I want to dovetail it with, and adding this because I was going to save it for the next segment, but is there a case to actually keep Xhaka now? Well, the Shaka one, I'm not sure Elliot's going to let me get through that one without interrupting me. So, um, I'm going to need to mute my microphone so I can know what's coming. I think when we when we walk into a room and we try to judge people, we only, we can only judge it from our own experiences, right? So when I hear the word non-negotiables, I just smile because I've, I've heard that before. And and also when you have these rules of the road, people made it made the assumption that there were Arteta's rules. A lot of times in sporting environments, the players develop these rules and they are like team rules, teamship type rules. And so the players may decide, like Clive Wood was a great example of this rugby coach. They had a teamship rule, which was, okay, I don't want to be talking to you about being late. Lateness is very important to everybody. So what they decided as a group, as a group of players, that for every meeting, we'd be turned up 15 minutes early and they called it Lombardi time. So if you go up mm. to any England rugby player and say Lombardi time, they all know it's 15 minutes early. So when Aubameyang's late, how do we know it's Arteta's rules? It could be the team's rules, everybody's rules. But people don't like him and don't understand culture building, don't understand the importance of respect in the dressing room, everyone that's waiting. They say, oh, he's non-negotiables, he chooses when he uses them, blah, blah, blah. And I wish you can't make people think about the game like you think about it that's the beauty of the game we all think about it differently we all arrive at a certain point at different times but i've been a little bit frustrated <laughs> because because you have to go a bit deeper and look into different sports and how cultures are developed right so and one of the big things about culture is you need to find out who's committed that's the big part of the journey and so you need to look at people look how they live look how they behave and say okay these are the rules. This is how we're going to work as a group, as a set of elite top sports people, the best in the world, right? In their field. They are like, I've been to a training ground and trust me, these guys are like stick thin, super athletes. My goodness, I just admire them so much, right? So, and if you're going to live by these rules, you have to do it as a group. So when someone comes outside of that group, it's a problem. It's a real problem mm -hmm. for everybody. Understand that when you're in a high-pressure situation in a dressing room and you look around that dressing room and you want to feel that everybody's with you, that's the differentiator. That's your point of difference is how you're bonded together. You know, that is it for us. We haven't got the, you know, the money that City and Chelsea have got. So what's our point of difference? Our point of difference is our culture, our unity, and how we live and how we grow and how we create a learning environment. I think it's very important people recognise this. And he's found out who's committed. He's paid people off who are not committed at the cost to the club. Right? Mm. He's literally given them money to leave. That's how important it is for him to have the right culture. He hasn't done that for himself. By the way, keeping a high earner that can, who's experienced, that's been through this before, if you care about yourself first, you keep them on board. It's not your money. Mm. You know I mean? You keep them. But he knows the importance of living exactly what he wants to do and making sure he's implemented to everybody. I, you really have to understand this. I actually think he's one of the very few majors that literally puts himself last. He's putting the club first and the culture first. 
I think it's in key that we the easiest thing for me right now is to keep a Bamyang for six, three more months and get top four. Why wouldn't you do that? See what, see what I mean? Why wouldn't you do that? That's an easy thing to do because he might bang you some goals and you're a hero and off you go. But he said, no, it's important. I live by my own rules. Do you see what I mean? And execute on that and make sure yeah. that, he ha- that he's out of the way. And I think, I hope people understand what he's done because regardless of whether it's Arteta or somebody else, I actually don't get hung up on individuals. I look at the ways of working. I think that's very important we can see that. And it's a great point because I think for doubters like me, I needed to see what this trust the process was exactly, right? And and Elliot, um, m- maybe this is where we align a little bit because we're, okay, you inherit an Emery team, you go on to win the FA Cup. Those FA Cup love coupons rode for a very, very long time, and rightly so. Um, he still had to win that trophy, albeit with an on-fire Aubameyang um, and a... And a, and a trio of Lacazette and Pepe that were playing very well in that in that competition but then you finish eighth and eighth worse than Emery and and you also get kicked out of Europe but with that said exactly what you and Kev have talked about the elimination of players paying players off having this team now Elliot the trust the process I guess was where we're at now and that we can see things now a little bit more clearly in terms of what that has meant for Arteta as a manager, but also the evolution of Arsenal Football Club's DNA and player profile right now. Yeah, and, and Clive made the point off the bat, we all look at football a little differently. Clive is much better at analyzing the game from that cultural, psychological uh, viewpoint, also the tactical viewpoint. So really just the game period. But <laughs> um, what I would say is that the funny thing is I always, Sophie, I wanted to trust a process. That's the funny thing. I wanted to see a director of football who was savvy in the market and a young coach with exciting tactical innovative ideas and a renewed squad with the pieces in place to grow into being a title contender someday. I think Mm -hmm. what got me off of Arteta so quickly is firstly, I'm a petty man and I want to see handsome people fail. (laughs) um, It's that, it's that when I saw, you know, the expensive overpriced purchases and the aging Chelsea rejects. And he wins the FA Cup and immediately goes from being coach to manager, right? And I was like, wait, wait, this isn't the process. The Chelsea rejects and the the big contracts for 30-year-olds and suddenly we're back to having a single point of failure. And, Mm -hmm. And the irony is I wanted a process to trust and I felt like we lost what we could have been building. And I felt like this summer was a great reversion to having a process and finally saying enough is enough, enough with the quick fixes, enough trying to shoehorn ourselves back in the top four. I was listening to the TIFO uh, football podcast and they do some, some great analysis. They were talking about um, Ten Hag potentially becoming the coach of Manchester United. And they were saying he'd fail there. And I was like, why? He's a really highly rated coach, but they made a point, And I think it's so relevant. They said there are certain coaches that come in with tactical ideas and a project and a plan. And they need the players to really buy into it and want to get behind this plan. And then there are certain clubs like United where it's all ego and talent. And you need an Ancelotti type guy. You need a Zidane type guy. Someone they look up to, they admire, who's won it all and can just give them a platform to go succeed. Kind of like what Phil Jackson did with the Chicago Bulls, right? 
The fact is, Arteta inherited a team that probably couldn't buy into a project. Big egos, aging players, the Ozils, the Obas, the ultimately Williams. Look what he has now. Guys that are hungry to prove themselves, want to learn more about the game. Guys like Tomiyasu that'll play the role exactly where you put them. Guys like Saka and Smith-Rowe and Martinelli, desperate to prove what they're about. And I think Martinelli, and I'll, I'll stop here, is a great example. He started against Manchester United in the game a little while back and got pulled off at halftime because he obviously wasn't standing exactly where Arteta wanted him to stand, right? He needs these guys to understand. And when you watch us now, I think you're seeing the benefit of a team that stands where they're supposed to, moves in unison, presses in a coordinated way, attacks in patterns. And I am all the way in because there looks like a process now. So the irony, Sophie, is I wanted mm -hmm. a process to trust. What I see now is a process that has ceiling, right? That has a positive future. The hard part for me, and Clive will tell you this, is it felt very, very muddy those that first 18 months. 18 so, months. You know? I, yeah. I, I agree completely, which is where I think, you know, this is why I say you and I were aligned on those thoughts is because I just couldn't see that, like the continual belief in William, all the things you said, totally agree with. So, Kev, they didn't answer the, is there a Jack case? A yeah, Clive, do you want to? Because I know what Kev. So, bearing in mind the marketplace, bearing in mind, again, look, you know, there's a lot going on in the world and this affects a lot of things. And, um, you know, there's still the ramifications of, you know, the financial pitfalls from, from COVID. We saw... The, the reports that came out, it's not cheap to buy quality midfielders. Clive, what, what yeah. is your take? Um, just lastly on, on you guys arriving at this point a little bit late, I think I found myself making excuses for Arteta for a long time. Mm -hmm. And people were thinking I was a defender of the manager, but I was defender of, come on, guys, look at what we have here. A young guy, young manager in the Premier League, we're going through a pandemic and there is no there is no market to get rid of people. So we had to carry the luggage around a little bit longer. Do you see what I mean? And because mm -hmm. of that, people that look at results and look at data, my mate here looks at data and actual, and the actuals, they were absolutely right. We finished eighth twice. What, what could I say? You know, it's like, but then you have, but then the opportunity changed. And I think there's no, we all arrive at things at different times, right? So. Regarding the Shaka question, I think it comes it's slightly broader actually because we're all doing transfer stuff in our minds, right? Looking at the number eight, looking at the number nine. Do we need a right back? We all do it. It's what we do. It's fun, isn't it? It's fun. And then we get into the, the phase where well, what, is, what does the next phase this look like? And it is highly debatable. But I'm wondering if the next phase is about extreme quality and not quantity. You know, so I think we could be going for two big ones and maybe a couple of younger players to to continue the growth aspect of, of the squad. And by two big ones, they have to be old. Uh, I'm talking like say I'll just give a name for example, you know, if he's gonna set this gonna set the chat off, right? But if we're looking for a, a left centre mid that can be an eight and, and a six, someone like Jude Bellingham. Right? Oh, so the dream that that is a project banner player to go with Saka, Smith Rowe, Martinelli, Odegaard. It fits. 
nine, 18, 19 years of age, if you're going to go, go big. You'll get it back 10 times over. You know, you'll get it back because you're now saying a message to the world. This is who we are. We are, we are making, we are making superstars out of young men. It absolutely fits. I would, I would turn, I would, I would give them my, my own money to get him. Do you see what I mean? I think. I'd go in it, on that. If we do a whip says, round. Because <laughs> what it says about us, where we're going. We've done the, the bulk buy that set the foundations, but I think we need to go a little bit bigger. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think Shaka, we've got to be fair to him. Um, I think he's a fine young man that has limitations. We do not need to go through them again, do we, Elliot? We do not need to go through them again. And and I do think there's a ceiling to him, but he is a big committed person to this program or project, whatever you want to call it. So I think, but I don't think he's a bystander. I don't think he's a squad player. And I think he needs to go and, and yeah. do his own thing in Italy and he'd be fantastic out there if he does get out there. And um, so I would go for a, a Bellingham myself and personal choice um but if you follow me on twitter i change my mind every other day but you know yeah no yeah (laughs) um kev you've been very staunch on you appreciate Xhaka right now for what this team needs in the time that we need it and the partnership that he's built with Partey. but you are still of the mindset that we need to replace him and it's time for him to move on, Jude Bellingham would be a dream signing for for the Arsenal. Yeah, quality, yeah. quality player, someone who's got legs, who fits in with the youth element, who's got big capacity to grow as well. But he's of he's of that standard that he's already a England, full England international. That that really fits 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 our bill and ticks the boxes. Look for me. It all comes together when you when you fit that spot beside party. Who can get goals? Although Jacques is a, a, a decent player, and he is he is committed. We do lack goals from the midfield. Thomas Partey, we don't want to put goals on him because we know what his shooting is like at times. Um, but we the Jon Jensen with... moment's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Hopefully against Spurs. <laughs> Hopefully against Spurs. That would be amazing. But, but, but that other player who plays with him, who then tends to move a bit further forward, has to be able to get in the box and score some goals for us. Yeah. Has to be able to be a little bit more creative. Jude Bellingham, you see him at Dortmund, he's add that, added that to his game. Mm-hmm. He really has added that, that offensive sharpness and smarts to his game. Anyone like that who can come in and... We need legs because there's times where they're going to have to just sit beside Thomas Party, And then for 10 minutes, Sophie, and then once we do that for 10 minutes and the, oppo- and the, the op- opportunity opens up, he's got to be able to go and hurt the opposition. We don't have that right now. And yeah. we do a job, but we need that. If we're going to push on, we need that. Yeah, and I sit in envy every weekend when I see Manchester City's midfield or or Liverpool's midfield and, and the way they play. I wanted to put this comment up from Riddy Elliott because <clears throat> he says, sorry, Clive, we ain't getting Bellingham and, and oh, Clive no, can totally respond, but, but, but why not? So I may, okay, so this is, this is the, the thing that I think that we've fallen so far in terms of our Premier League pedigree and the lack of Champions League football um, that 
people don't believe that we can make this signing. Now, if we do get Champions League football and we're back in the game, why not Arsenal? Why mm. not playing with Bukayo, with Martinelli, with Partey, Tierney, Gabriel, Tomiyasu, Ramsdale? Why, why can't we sell this vision to a Bellingham? And I'm going to add another name here. And I know people ridicule me, but I don't give two air, you know, whatever. <laughs> if we do make Champions League, why can't we be in the Haaland game? I mean, we've, we've given Ozil like a tremendous amount of money, over a tremendous amount of money. You're talking about a generational player that could be at the club for 10 years. Ellie, I'll start with you and then uh, Clive and, and Kev. Why not? Why not us? Mm. Um, well, so firstly, you didn't mention Smith Rowe as one of the players they might want to play with, and I'd be curious why you hate Smith Rowe. No, okay. <laughs> so uh, my Smith Rowe question's coming next about him oh, being okay. on the bench because I'm very concerned about it. <laughs> no, fine. fine. Um, you know, they, the, the, the chat can, can get at you for that. Um, no, I, I would say, look. Firstly, you troublemaker. There is, exactly, there is no reason economically. Um, I would say that Holland may be slightly different than Bellingham, although maybe not by much, but like at the end of the day, you know, you hear a lot of people that are like, oh, Agent Odegaard's going to tell Holland to come join the project. I mean, there may be some truth to that. We know that we've just cut a guy out of the wage bill who was making whatever rumor you want to believe, 250, 300, 350. I mean, I don't think wages are an impediment. I don't even think the fee is necessarily an impediment. I mean, we did just announce a hundred and some odd million pound loss for the year, and we're going to announce another one for the following year, but we've cut a huge amount of wages out. Um you know, our, our obviously we got people back in the ground now. Our, I think our commercial deals, a few of them are set to to renew, are going to be good. the The fact is, I don't think there's any reason if we get Champions League why we can't be in for those players, with one exception. If a Real Madrid wants that player, or potentially even a Barcelona, depending on where you think they're at economically, or a Manchester City or something, maybe even Liverpool. The question is not whether we can compete with the the money on offer. Arsenal have never really beaten those clubs to a signing. That's not how we've done it. I can't think of too many signings where mm. a Real Madrid was in for the player and we beat them. The funny thing is our best signings really have been players who got their big club move and it maybe didn't quite happen for them, right? Whether you want to talk about the likes of Henri or, or Vieira coming from Italy, or you want to talk about Alexis and Ozil coming from Barcelona and and Real Madrid, or, or even Odegaard coming from Real Madrid. So I don't know if it's the model of how we've done it. I certainly think we could be in for those players. Um, I would just Elliot, say can I just butt in for in. can, yeah, can I butt in real quick? Do you think now Ronaldo and Messi have left La Liga? It's not as exciting. It's not as sexy. Um, if Mbappe signs for one of for Real Madrid, okay, that that's that's that kind of eliminates what I'm saying. But if you're Mbappe and if you're Haaland, why would you want to go to La Liga? I mean, I get it; it's Real Madrid still. But the and maybe Kev can help us out. We're here with, as as a player, but right now, wouldn't you? If you're Mbappe, I would say, take me to Liverpool, take me to City, take me to Manchester United, take me to even Bundesliga, like Bayern Munich, Much, although Bayern won't put up those, those kinds of dollars. I just don't understand the allure of La Liga, uh, which, may, which may see 
us be able to trump some of those teams with these signings? Maybe I'm living in a football la-la land. I'll, I'll say this real quick. So if I think the Bellingham thing is interesting because if you look at a young Smithrow and you look at a young Saka and you look at a young Aaron Ramsdale and you look at a young Benjamin White and you say, gosh, they got half the future England team over there. I want to go be a part of that mm-hmm. and play for England and play for Arsenal and play with my mates at both places and go win things for England and Arsenal together. If the money's right and we're in the Champions League, it's incredibly compelling. I think for someone like Holland who doesn't have that same connection necessarily culturally, and I'll turn this over to to Kev, but like, it certainly seems to me that Real Madrid, I mean, you ever seen the movie Dream? You know, like it's, it's Real Madrid, right? They, they are still, I think for most people coming through the game, the dream of where you're going to wind up to prove that you've made it, you know, maybe I'm, maybe that's changing and the premier league is over overtaken that, but I, I don't know. Kev, if you, if you were in today's, as a player, you had the option your Haaland or your Mbappe, you can go anywhere in the world. The lure of the shirt of Real Madrid, I understand that, but you're just going to play Champions League football if you're looking for sexy, exciting football. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to disparage La Liga in any way, but to me, it's not the same as it as it used to be. If you want constants, and and that and some of the people come come at me and say, "Well, you got to play Norwich, you got to play Burnley, you got to play," but I don't know if it's the audience, the fandom. What what what's your take? Am Sophie, I talking out on my backside? No, you're not talking out your backside. But I think there's one thing that you've missed a little. Yeah, Ronaldo and Messi are not there. That means there's room for more players to be the stars of the league. Mm. And mm. if you, if you then Haaland and Mbappe go to La Liga, all of a sudden, there's new impetus into the league. Come to the Premier League, there'll be fantastic stars. But they'll just be fantastic stars at whatever club. Because you go to a Manchester City, Haaland will be the centre forward, but there's stars all over the place. At Real Madrid, there's stars. But faces of the league, this is what La Liga needs. The Liga needs marquee players in, in their league who they can market globally. And Real Madrid, as we know, they love a Galactico. They love a player who sell, pays them back the money, which hurts sales on day one. <laughs> and number two, can really grow their brand. Hmm. You look at Mbappe and, and Haaland, if they get both of them two, you know, Real Madrid are looking at not only have they not been great in the Champions League, all of a sudden they're rebuilding to win the Champions League again. So coming to England will work, but I think there are definitely two spots or three spots in La Liga for big marquee talent. And it's either going to be one or two teams who get them. It's either going to be Real Madrid or Barcelona. Can I raise one issue there too, Sophie? Maybe one for Clive to address. Because I think, look... Arsene Wenger had a theory that I think sort of fell apart. The socialist wage structure, right? That was a big right. thing we used to talk about. But I think we've learned something. When you put one guy on 250, the next star that's up for renewal wants 300, right? And it snowballs from there. We got to get Correct. Saka nailed down to a new deal. There's going to be new deals for a lot of these young players in the offing. And like, if you go for a Jude Bellingham, for example, and you have to put him on 250 to get him to sign... What do you sit? What do you sit down with Saka and say when he says, "I'm hey, I'm about to go into my last year. Show me the money," you know, and Smith Rowe and Martinelli and all. That. And so, Clive, I'm curious how you see that because, like, one thing we have to be careful about is having 
that one guy who's way out there in the stratosphere and sets the mark for all these renewals that are going to be coming up. And we've, so, and we've had that problem, haven't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Ozil, Aubameyang, yeah, William. So the reason why I brought out Jude Bellingham's name, apart from the fact that I, I like the player, is I think he fits us exactly. And I think he fits us from an age perspective. But also, his wages, they're not going to be. Why would an 18-year-old get 250? Right? It's just not going to happen, right? Rash Rashford got that, didn't he? Look, look what's... Not, not, did not he? an 18. Did he? Not 18. Not, not 18. Mm. It depends so, what you think the other clubs will offer, Clive, right? Like, what will a United or a City well, well, or... Who, well, he's not going to go He's not going to go United. Why do you go there, right? Unless no. you want to throw your career away. <laughs> they suck. If he, if, you know, <laughs> you, can, you can go to City potentially, but the club is really the two-to-one favourite is Liverpool, right? They play a midfield three in a V. Jordan Henderson's getting on a little bit. Naby Keita hasn't really done it. Oxley Chamber want to get a few quid for him. They got a, you know, there's room for him there if they make some sharp sales, right? So they've got the right people environment, and and I think we are we are next, right? And so I also think about this. I've watched him lately at Dortmund, and he's running about with a cape on, right? So he's literally doing everything. Mm -hmm. He needs a coach that's gonna. He needs a positional coach that's gonna literally tell him how to play football and where to be and where to stand. It's not all about you. It's about playing to a system, playing to a structure, playing to a team play. There is a slot in our team that's literally perfect for him. Players need to do a lot more research on teams and how they're going to play and where they're going to play and what's their role in the short-term, medium-term, long-term, who they're going to play with. If I'm that kid, I'm thinking, mate, I'm looking at Arsenal and we could actually literally be a better footballing fit than Liverpool where we are right now, from a, with the players surrounding him. We are a better footballing fit for him with the manager that we have. He's just starting out on his journey. I'm not saying Klopp's going to stop his journey soon, but he could be one well, couple of years away. Well, 2024, yeah. Yeah, a couple of years away. And um, and maybe Stephen Gerrard comes in. So, you know, foot managers shouldn't dictate everything what you do. But we're just starting on this journey. If it doesn't derail towards the end of the season, it could be the start of something special. So, obviously, you need to be Champions League. There's a method to my madness here. Way structure, playing style, environment, other players. I think he fits. When you try to guess, I think he fits. Hey, mate, he could, well, he could be Liverpool's back pocket already and it could sound like rubbish, but there's a method to why I brought up his name as well, I was trying to say. Yeah, and uh, can, Liv can I... Liverpool have definitely been sniffing around. Go on, Kev. I, I'll say this uh, to, to Elliot, what Elliot was saying. When you're in the dressing room and the club go out and get a big name player. You know they're going to be on fortunes. You're just happy that they're going to be coming yeah. in yeah. To, to, to help this project move forward and speed things up because what you want is at the training ground because sometimes the players are the last ones to find out. Trust me. So the fans will be there talking about, let's just say it was Haaland. Rumour would have it, Haaland's coming in. Everyone right. Harlan's coming here. Then all of a sudden, you see him walk in the building. Once he walks in that building, the level of training goes up. There's nobody thinking, well, he's going to be on 250 grand and I want 250. No, mm. they're going to be thinking, now we're moving him. Now we're moving right. We're getting the right. There, there are some players that are bothered by that, though, Kev, aren't they? Yeah, like his, uh, his no, and I mine. Don't. And I'm no, not saying I, our no, players, I, but. No, I don't. I don't. Look. I can only talk about, because I've been in the dressing room, it was never, he's come in and he's on this and 
you know, other people are going to start knocking on the manager's door saying, well, I want to be on what... No, because what you know what that does? That just totally disrupts team harmony. And that's why the culture, that would disrupt the culture. The key <laughs> is to have the players who recognize what is happening. And then you can move the team forward by getting these marquee players. And everyone doesn't start throwing their toys at the pram. Oh, he's on this and I want to be on that. No, it doesn't work I like that. Saka will get his time to be the top earner. Trust me, mm. he will. <clears throat> well, we've got we've got to make those strides now. So I do want to talk about our, our younger players um, with you guys because one of the things that we failed to do in the past is build on our talent. I.e., we 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 didn't do the right things when we had Cesc Fabregas, Jack Wilshire. I would even say Robin Van Persie. And then, you know, we had the talent and the sexiness of Ozil and Santi and Alexis, but we still didn't have the DM. We didn't have the right CBs. We failed to kind of build on talent in certain areas and in, in some regards, generational talent um, as well. Swing back to, to Clive. We've talked about money. Elliot brings up a good point about who pays, what gets what. Saka's contract negotiations, Emil Smith-Rowe signed last summer. Are we, do you think that we're in a healthier position now as a club in the fact that our culture and DNA has evolved under Arteta where we maybe don't have to fear losing Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe and Martinelli and, you know, I would say even players like Gabriel, Tierney, Tomiyasu, Ramsdale. And, and also, Clive, are you concerned that Emil Smith-Rowe will tire of being a bench player. And I don't want to be overly dramatic or melodramatic about that, but when you scored nine goals and your joint top goal scorer, I think Saka's on nine now. Um, Martinelli's a, an incredible talent too. Can you talk me through that a little bit in terms of keeping players happy, the generational talent we have, and in, in particular, Emil Smith-Rowe and how important he is that we don't upset him to the point where he wants to go elsewhere to play first-team football. Yeah, this is why I say that I don't think we're going to buy loads of players this um, this year. I think we're going to buy some flexible players. I always look at Man City as an example. If you look at Man City's squad compared to Liverpool, Chelsea's or Man United's, it's much smaller, but the quality's higher. So Man City just bopped Man United 4-1 at the weekend. And Raheem Sterling had a sheepskin coat on. Right, he did not play. Right, so, and we have to get used to that. And they, and I think they got Champions League coming up. And Sterling will probably play. Right, so Smith Rose has got a slightly different issue. Right, he's a unbelievable talent, but really the issue for him is his fitness, physical fitness, health at the moment. Mm. Um, he carries injuries. I think he's he's grown a fair bit. His body is a little bit under stress. And they're trying to look after him, much like Arteta looked after Martelli. Much to Elliot's disappointment, he took a long time to get him into the team. But now he's in the team, he's lasting 90 minutes most of the time when he needs to. And he's performing, right? So we have to trust the people that see them every single day, see their training numbers, see what they're, how they're ending games. And I think Smith Rowe, his time will come. When it comes, it'll come in the burst and then it'll come out again. There could be a time where we get an untimely injury and we're going to be loving Smith Rowe because... He could be playing a Martelli, he could be on the right-hand side if Saka gets a car strain or something like that, touch wood. This is football, right? It, it happens. We have to get comfortable 
not picking our first 11s. I say to Elliot all the time, we get first 11 centric and we're always trying to pick it. And really, what we really want is a good, strong 18 that's underpinned by unbelievable youth talent. Well, we got the unbelievable youth talent coming through, that's for sure. You know, the next phase of players are Mari Hutchinson for one, mm. it's Charlie Patino as another. The European games will give them minutes at the end of games. We've got the youth talent. You know, we really Balogun, have got that. Balogun as well. Ba Balogun as well. There's a young kid at Millwall. I'm not saying he's going to make it, but um, Daniel Ballard, who looks very interesting, you know. Um, Brooke Norton Cuffey. I mean, crikey, what's going on there? He's just exploding in front of our eyes. There are enough... There's Aziz as well that's, you know... Funny enough, so far, I don't want to kill anybody, but I watched him recently. He's come <laughs> back from... impressed. Come back from Portsmouth. He looks a bit broken-hearted, you know. The jump from That's youth play to senior well, football. Men's football, yeah. Yeah, he struggled, him. mate. He's jogging around. and Hey, look, he could be just a bit emotional. It didn't work out for him. We don't know everything. Things happen to people behind closed doors that we're not aware of. But he's not he's not bombing like he was before. So he's just going for emotions. I hope people are looking after him. That's what I see anyway. Um, so there is talent there. So I, this, is where I, this is where I see we're going. Uh, we have to get comfortable with having good players. You know, that's the key. You know, what we don't want to do, this is the, the big fear, so, right? The big fear, mm -hmm. have good quality players so we can protect the careers of these young men. Yeah. Right? I don't, Elliot will tell you, he looks at minutes per age and things like that. But Kaya Saka's played the most minutes in our squad. <clears throat> yes. Was he 20? He played the Euros. Yep, all the way to the end of the Euros. I think Ben White has. I think Ben White's played the most minutes. Yeah, but of the and, youth, of the yeah. youth, Saka and, has. But Saka's played <coughs> off season two in yeah. you know right to the last kick. Do you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Literally yeah. the last kick of the tournament. So we need to be wary of this, and there needs to be a time where we need to be comfortable to sit him down. You know, we really do. And the only way we're going to do that is have another one like Smith Rowe, shall we say? We need more. Mm -hmm. of that quality to mm -hmm. allow us to rotate just like Man City did at the weekend. And that's why I see the future. Interesting. Um, Elliot, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, you mentioned it earlier. I, I would love I would love to get your take. A, a few people in chat are saying to me, what's this talk about Emil, Emil Smith-Rowe? But the truth is, as players also get older, their, their mental develops too, right? They want more things, um, their attitude changes. And I'm not saying that Emil Smith-Rose or Saka's will change, but we do have to do, as well as bringing up other youth like Clive says, and he's excited about that, you know, there's an instant gratification in football. Senior players, better senior players, more mature senior players coming into the squad. What, what's your take on, on this? Well, I am a worrier. That's why my friends call me whiskers. And I do tend to worry about, um, you know, the, the playing time players are getting and are they going to get unsettled? Are they going to be unhappy? I mean, I think that getting back in the Champions League, certainly some of this will fix itself because the amount of fixtures and the fixture congestion will mean the need to rotate. And to Clive's point, that rotation can't be some guy none of us want to see on the pitch. It's got to be players that we want to play. And there'll be more games for Smith Rowe than he can play. There'll be more games for Saka and Martin than they can play. The other thing is, if you look around Europe, look, if your money is right and your team is winning, I think it's easier to ask players to buy in. Where it starts to go wrong is if one of those two things is missing. Smith Rowe just renegotiated a new contract, so I think he's probably going to mm -hmm. feel his money is right for right now. 
if we're winning, if he's scoring when he comes on, if we're in the Champions League, it's easier. Look at who was on the bench for Liverpool at the weekend. Diogo Jota, right? Not playing. Not starting. He has every right to start. Does he look frustrated? No, because they're chasing a title and they're chasing a Champions League and his money's probably just where he'd like it to be. And he's happy. I think, you know, the the advantage of having, you know, a, a younger group of players too is, you know, look, some of them are very impatient. We know that. I mean, you see, can see what, Sterling, what happened with Sterling at Liverpool, right? Um, but I do tend to think that if we're back in the Champions League and the football is good, there's going to be enough time for everybody and, and enough uh, winning to keep them happy. You know, I, I said this about Arteta a while back. I mean, you can be a disciplinarian. You can be a, a, a slap on the back of the shoulder, arm around the shoulder. You can be defensive. You can be attack-minded. Ultimately, if you're winning, everyone's okay with it. And so, you know, I, I think... I think the way we're playing right now and the way we're winning is, is going to be good enough. You're right about this, though, Sophie. Like, there will come a point where, like it or not, we probably can't keep them all, right? As Saka and Smithrow and Martinelli get to that 24, 25-year-old period and there's the next contract coming up and they're right there in their prime, if they aren't all first-team starters, if they're not just starting right across the front three – one of them is probably going to see a greener pasture somewhere. And the key then is just that you get your 100 million pounds for him. Liverpool sold Raheem Sterling. Liverpool sold Luis Suarez. Liverpool won titles in Champions Leagues, much as I hate to say it, right? So, like, it's not the end of the world if you can't keep them all. It's only the end of the world if you wind up giving them away. Um, so I would say for right now it looks fine. And, yeah, you know what? In a few years, you're probably right one of this young, talented trio probably will see a greener pasture somewhere else. Mm. Just make sure we get ours, we rebuild, we reload, and we move forward. That Coutinho $120 million deal also set them in, in, in motion, didn't it? Okay, so I'll get you guys out on this. Um, we've got ourselves in this improbable... Oh, by the way, I've loved this conversation, kind of getting, digging a little deeper into the DNA and culture of the club versus focusing on tactics and analytics today. Um, yeah, I hate that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but we we found ourselves in this improbable position to the point now where there's a narrative building that, you know, we all, I think we all heard the Laura Woods, Jamie O'Hara argument about is it overachieving if we finish fourth um or in the top four because uh, third is not improbable either um if we don't is it a failure which is the juxtaposition to all of that so i would love both your takes on on that and kev has predicted the last five games and is four out of five right now he's got one more to go with leicester and it's um a, a quint a quint vector um as <laughs> as we call it here on the show west ham man united north london derby chelsea liverpool i'd love to get your take on how you see in in a nutshell wins or losses on that on that too clive i'll start with you the top four is it overachieving underachieving if we don't do it now and how you see those kind of big games playing out yeah, my master plan was, and Elliot will, will back me up on this, I wanted us out of Europe this season. I, I said it and I argued against it when people argued with me because I didn't think we were good at multiple competitions and Europe was kidding us. Europe was stopping us getting into Europe, so that makes sense. You know, the Thursday-Sunday thing was hurting. 
So once we're out of Europe, I thought we had a good chance to coach. We've got a teacher coach, right? So I felt we had a good chance. I hope for top four. I, I probably said fifth in the preseason stuff we do. You did. Yeah. And <laughs> But I, I hope for top four. After the first three games, you keep your mouth shut, didn't you, really, at that point? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it all started to change. So my personal opinion is, I think fifth, sixth was always the target. But now there's an opportunity. And I think that the club has had a reset in Dubai. I think the whole group has said, we've got a chance here. And everything's changed. If you look at what happened in the game since then, it's like it's been like an FA Cup final, every single one. The way the players are reacting, the way the crowd is reacting. I was at the Wolves game. And I don't mind telling you, it's probably in the top five games I've been to in my whole life. And I'm not a child. Do you know what I mean? Wow. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And people who were there will know exactly what I mean. I can't describe why a game in February <laughs> was that good. Uh, just a general league game. And, and this was happening at the moment, right? So this could stop. You know, this could stop. And then when we had a bad day against Man City... I wasn't at that game, but people said at the end of the game, no one left. It was the same yeah. against Wolves. No one left. There's something going on. I'm telling you, there's something going on. I'm not sure it's going to end. I looked at the pictures today. They all look real tough all of a sudden, you know, and they it do. could change. But we're going the right path, and that's the most important. All of us here, uh, we've done a few laps of the building, right? We know we're on the right path. And we have to hold on to that. If we do get some tough lessons, just learn from them and then go again next year. But I've got a sneaky feeling that we actually deserve it this time. I said to Elliot, before we didn't deserve it. We were just trying to finish for <coughs> sneak in there by paying Lichstein the money. But I think <laughs> we, deserve, we deserve it now because we're doing it the right way around. <laughs> and I'm hoping we get our just rewards. I really, really do. I love that. Um that North London derby could be quite the match as well this season. Um, mm. They're saving that one till the very end, aren't they? Uh, Elliot, what's your take? Overachieving, <clears throat> underachieving, and of those big games I mentioned, um, we could beat Chelsea, I think. We could win the North London derby. We need to pay back Manchester United for the game that we should have won. West Ham, I think, are vulnerable. What, what's your take on all of this? There's no easy games in the Premier League right now. There just aren't. Um, it's not that kind of league anymore. There's so much money. There's so many good coaches, obviously, other than the one at Everton right now. Um, but there's, you know, there's, there's just a lot of, um, quality top to bottom. And so I don't think there are easy games. I, I want to say something that people are going to hate. And then I want to explain why I think it would be failure if we don't get top four. Let me explain what I mean. Just super quick before people get mad. I think it would be failure from this position we're in because I think the teams chasing us are not very good. Realistically, United have to go on a two-point-per-game or better pace to get to where we're going to get to, and they're not going to do that. Hmm. Spurs are the only one close, but like, I think 66 points gets us there. That's like not that many points with 13 games left to have to get. We can play worse than we have been and still get top four is my point. So the reason I'm calling it failure is very simple. If we don't get top four, I think it will be because we start playing very poorly. Now, I want to clarify. 
I don't think we're going to start playing very poorly. I really trust how we're playing now. And I don't think we have to be great to get there. If there was a great United chasing us, I'd say I'm scared. If there was, a, But look at the teams chasing us and look at who they drop points to. They're going to drop stupid points. So now, now look, at the start of the season, I would not have said that. But at the start of the season, I thought United were going to be competent. And they're not, right? So it's it. you have to base it on the current situation. And based on the current situation, if you said to me, who's the better team, Arsenal, Spurs, or United? I'd say we're the better team. We have more points, and we have the games in hand. So it's all set up for us. Now, my final caveat here. Let's say we get to 68 points, playing the way we're playing, looking the way we're looking, and one of these teams gets hot and gets to 69 then no, I'm not going to say that was failure. Then I'm going to say, I'll hold my hand up and say, credit to them. They went on a crazy hot run. I like the way we look. I like the way we're playing. I, I hope that makes sense, Sophie, because I think- No, like, it does. It's predicated on who's chasing us and me not thinking they're very good. I think a modest finish will still get us there. And that's all we ha have to do. It's the worst Manchester United team in years. Tottenham are in a transitional phase, mm -hmm. yet have one of the best coaches we've seen in the last 10 years. West Ham, you just can't trust. Um, and let's be honest, we need our best 11 fit. And I'm not sure how long we're going to be able to kind of hold on to the Cedric situation before he's... He's he start. I hope Tommy Asu's fit to play these last thirteen oh, Cup finals, because you're seeing that vulnerability at the back. Kev talked about that in his segment a couple of days ago too. Super Kev, do we overachieve if we finish fourth? Are you now? I know your mindset is. Tony Adams said, "Let's." Oh no, was it Tony Adams? Yeah, Tony Adams or Lee Dixon said we should be now going for third. That should be our mindset. Yeah. That's what he would yeah. be saying in the dressing room. Reel them in. Reel them yep. in. Yep. Um, I, I think it's the, for the culture and for the mindset, that's the, that's the only way to be, Sophie, because we're, we're sat in fourth now. Mm -hmm. So you don't look behind you because we're already ahead of them. You look who's in front of you. And we do have some big games coming up and we do have Chelsea to play at their place. But you know what? For us to get to where we want to get to, uh, we mentioned it on, the, on on Kev says so. There has to be an aggression in our mindset to get it, not just go mediocre and not do the business. We've got to go to win these games. Four wins on the spin. We need another one on Sunday, and then we go again. We've got Liverpool coming up. Who says we can't beat Liverpool? You know who says we can't? It's going to be a tough game. Of course it is. But if if we want to do it. Do you imagine if we beat Liverpool, what that puts into the mind of Manchester United and Spurs? All of a sudden, that's like, uh -huh. I didn't see that one coming. So we have that's to have that That's the toughest one of all, Kev. That's, that's no, the one that's like... Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is, it's Sophie. It is. But you know what? If we want to get to where we're going, we have to do things that we haven't done in a while. It's the and evolution. We've got to we've got to beat one of them big boys when it really matters. We have to. Okay, cool. Um, it's an hour and six minutes in. I could sit here all night and talk football with you guys. It's amazing. Will you please come back for a part two on this? Um, maybe in a few in a few weeks. I do want to get a final thought. Anything you want to say about the club, about 
football, about anything. Um, Clive, from you to the fans, to our, our listeners, they're loving this conversation. And please do hit that like button um, if you've enjoyed the conversation this evening. And if you haven't, let us know why. Um, we don't have a glass chin, unlike um, that boxer that lost last weekend. But uh, <laughs> Clive, uh, last word. Uh, I, I haven't really got a last word. What I will say, really, what's, what surprised me this season, I, I will say, has been the atmosphere in the ground and, and around the ground. I, it's just been... It's just been, it's just been, I can't describe it really. I, I can't describe it. And, um, and I can't wait to go back. I'm searching tickets all the time. You know, I just can't mm. wait to go back there again. And, um, and why is that? I've been questioning myself. Is it post COVID? I'm not sure it's that. I think it's because people can see we're trying to do something correct. And when you're trying to do something right, people give you a break. They do. They give you a break, and um, and that's what I, that's what. I, and in the end, we're a football club, and the people, all the people listening to this, and all the people abroad, and all the people who don't get a chance to go to the stadium, who are online trying to get closer to their club, it's for all of us, right? So when you see the club trying to do the right thing, you can't help but feel connected to it, and I think that's the final leg to the project, right? So. Um, so yeah, I think that's been the thing that I want to leave people with, particularly some of the people in your audience hope you don't get to the ground. Yes. And I I'm trying to transmit that across to them that there's another side to this and trust me, there's there's something cooking there, right? We've just got to hang in there, hang in there. Yeah. It's a it's a great point we do. We have listeners like you do from all over the world that get up at ungodly hours to watch their yeah. team. Elliot's one of them, I'm one of them for sure. Um we get to <laughs> London whenever we can. Um it is fun to watch our team again, Elliot. What's your final word? Yeah, I mean, I'll be there for the Everton game at the end of the season, so hopefully a celebration. Um, my final word is just like, I hope people, whatever your opinions have been, pro this, anti that, whatever it is, I hope you can open your mind a little right now and enjoy what you're seeing because it is a hell of a lot of fun right now to root for Saka and Odegaard and Martinelli and Smith Rowe and White and Ramsdale and Gabriel. I mean, these guys are young. They're excited to be here. Look at the passion when we beat Wolves with the late winner. I mean, Lacazette, not under contract. Look what it means. And I just, yeah. I've had my questions. So if you've had your questions, your doubts, mm -hmm. like being open-minded is one of the most brilliant things in the world because it lets you enjoy things when they change. It lets you adapt to new information. I have been wrong about so many things, right about one or two that I can't remember what they were, but I'm sure they existed. <laughs> about me, yeah. Point is, you're yeah, right about yeah, him. Right about that. Um, point is, like <laughs> I, I'm enjoying the hell out of it right now, and and I do want to say thank you because the one thing that I I I can only say how appreciative I am is whether it's on Twitter or in these comments or you know on our Discord or whatever it is, people are great. Arsenal fans are. I see so many. Oh, Arsenal fans, they're great. We have great chats. We have great debates. And I hope that they continue to go on because they make the experience of supporting from afar so much more enriching for me. And I'm enjoying the hell out of what Arteta is doing right now. And I hope it continues. Excellent last words. Um, really enjoyed this conversation. Super Kev, what's your last word today? My last words are, I could see why Arsenal Vision won the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's good. Hey, do you know what, Soph? Being around winners makes a difference, doesn't it? You know, I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. You know, that mindset, 
Mm-hmm. I think Clive and Elliot are, are, are sensational people, really good people, very knowledgeable about their club, and they have different opinions like me and you do at times, Sophie. I think it's really important that we get them back and subject the squaddies to the quality of podcasts like this because I think everybody enjoys everybody enjoys hearing good constructive talk about their football club and this is this has been one of the the standout shows so too kind Kev too kind and and I'm worried we're going to lose Clive to the Real Madrid podcast Real Madrid vision you know on on (laughs) a big transfer in the summer but we can only hold him for so long it's all about the culture baby all about the culture (laughs) a little about the money but all about the culture (laughs) all of a sudden I got that Leonardo DiCaprio I'm not leaving image in my uh, in my mind uh brilliant stuff I'm I'm looking forward to a second conversation with a little bit of a different angle um that is already noodling in in my mind so thank you so much and as tammy says please come back and i know they will absolutely um for sure okay so thanks for tuning in everybody an hour and 12 minutes of absolute pure magic football talk here um we've we've had a great conversation happy international women's day to all the great women out there once again i just wanted to thank leanne sanderson rebecca lowe natalie sawyer alison bender and of course super Kev, for your special messages for our women's show earlier please do check it out we had demi and ariaga on who's an expert on the arsenal women's team um and a a, a real great uh, male advocate for women and without you men there's there's a there's a, a stronger a stronger positioning and a stronger backbone for us women continuing to have a voice in, in football, um, which is really, really important. And I appreciate men like you guys who absolutely champion women um, all the time. So yeah, play to yourself. Can I say something to you, actually? Because one course. of the reasons why I joined the Arsenal Vision podcast was because of that bloke down there, Elliot, because hosting is very difficult. And it's a difficult, it's easy for me to talk, right? I, I do this all, I talk to myself if I could, right? So like, um, and so, so like, but hosting is very, very difficult and you're very, very good at it. Trust me. And I, I, I will oh, wow. I want to give you a clap, right? I really, I've, I've listened to your stuff. You're very good at it. I see you on TV and uh, I'm not just saying that. I wouldn't come on otherwise, trust me. So um, <laughs> but yeah, fair play to you. Well, that means a lot to me. Thank you so much. I I appreciate that um, very, very much. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And Elliot, as always, thank you. And um, we'll do this again. Super Kev, why don't you uh, take us out? Yeah, listen, squaddies, you got some of the best guys on. You got the, t- you got the title winners on. Clive and earlier title winners listen thanks for joining us tonight really appreciate you hit the like button on your way out and squaddies I salute you tell everyone your loved ones you love them and take good care and we'll see you next time bye now mind the gap between the train and the platform please stand clear of the discussion doors The next stop is Highbury Squad.